morning. Welcome back. Hope you guys had a good Father's Day last week for you dads. Uh, I'm Matt, and I'm one of the Sunday service team directors here at Church in the Valley, and I'm also on staff. And I'm going to be continuing our message series that we are in the middle of called Relationships at the Box Office. And uh, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the movies that came out uh, this summer, that are coming out this summer, movies we think are going to be popular. And we're asking the question, uh, what does this film uh, have to say about how relationships work? What is Hollywood teaching about what relationships are, good relationships, how to keep them healthy, how to make them better. And we're comparing that to what God has to say in the Bible. Because all of us know that relationships are a big part of the happiness and success that we we draw from life. And so this week we're looking at a film called Finding Dory, about a forgetful fish uh, who is trying to get back to her family. And the film is a sequel to uh, Finding Nemo. This is the trailer. Take a look. Field trip to the Stingray Migration. Stingray Migration. Migration is about going home, home, which is where you're from. How do the stingrays all know where to go? Instinct. Something deep inside you that feels so familiar that you have to listen to it. <gasps> my mom, my dad, I have a family. We will never forget you, Dory. What if I forget you? I miss them. You know what that feels like? Yes. Swimmer. I think you swim beautifully. Thank you. You will go. Wait, Dory? Yes, Dory? Yes. You and I were friends. No. It was so much fun because I'd tell you a story and then you'd completely forget about it mm-hmm. and then I'd get to tell it to you over and over again. I'm looking for my family. Are you crazy? It's too dangerous. Hands. Hands? Mommy? Ah! Holy Neptune. That is definitely not mommy. Ah! I'm sorry. I got a blink. How do you hold your eyes open that long? good. All right, that's it. So uh, I took my boys to see it, and it was a good movie. It was entertaining, and it's actually really good. The the movie does a good job uh, showing how words really do matter. They're basically fish with faces. You know, they're cartoon characters, and so there's not a lot going on in terms of arms and legs. And so what they say really seems to make a difference in the movie. If they say things that are helpful, it works out. Things that are hurtful, you see the consequences. And that's actually a really good message because that's true. That's how, that's how words work. And so today we're going to be looking at communication in our relationships and how we can communicate in our lives in a way that really builds up our relationships. And uh, you think that that's kind of an obvious thing, like a, an obvious truth. But if you look at our popular culture nowadays in the United States, that's actually not the message you're getting from, from Hollywood or from our economic centers or our political centers. Really, more and more in American culture, the message that we're getting is that the words we say, they, they don't really matter, not as much as the things that we do. And you can see it as you look at our storytelling. So this is a show, maybe you watch this, it's called House. And it's about a doctor who's really good at uh, figuring out what's wrong with you. So if you're sick and you have some sort of problem that nobody can figure out, and it's, it's going to take your life, they bring you to House's hospital, and then he does his thing, and you walk out of the, the episode alive. Now, the thing about House, the reason why there's Band-Aids over his mouth, 
is he's just really nasty when he talks to people. He's sarcastic and he's harsh and he makes fun of people. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the episode, people walk out of that hospital healthy and House is the hero. And if you felt bad about what he had to say, well, you're kind of petty. And so the message that we're getting, this subtle message is words don't matter as much as the action, as much as the, the goods that you bring to the table. And now uh, you see it in our, in our comic book culture. I mean, Hollywood is being taken over by Marvel. It's growing like algae all across Hollywood. Every movie is a superhero movie, and, and they're good. They're entertaining films. And really the linchpin for the Marvel Universe is, is uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark. Now think about Iron Man, what you know about him. How does he talk to people, right? Is he gracious and kind and patient? Now, he, he says whatever he wants to say to whoever he wants to say it, whenever he wants to say it, because he's Tony Stark, billionaire playboy, Iron Man. And as long as he saves the day, all those words that were spoken, there's no ripple effect. There's no consequence in the story that's presented to us. And so, again, the message is words are not quite as important as what you do. And it's not just in our storytelling. We're also seeing it more and more in our, in our economic culture. So this is Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs has transformed the world. He's changed the way we live with his computers and his iPods and iPhones. He's done a really good job at saving us time and money. But he's also famous in his businesses for just ripping people apart, just yelling at them, flying off the handle. It's part of the reason why he was fired in the first place, the very first time when they let him go at Apple. And the way he spoke to people and the way he treated people, that's never really a part of the stories that we tell anymore. Now, I'm no better. I'm not perfect. But what we're seeing is the people we're lifting up, they may have some communication patterns that are very destructive. But if they can produce a new invention, that's what really matters. That's the truth that's being communicated in our culture today. And you even see it in our politics. More and more today, what we're seeing is the way we talk to people. Well, that's not as important as our success. And so, for example, Donald Trump. Now, whatever you think about the guy, good and bad, His brand is to attack the person, not the policy. So the problem with Chris Christie is he's too fat. That's why he can't be president. And the problem with Carly Fiorina is is she's too ugly. And the problem with Jeb Bush is he's low energy. Marco Rubio is too sweaty. Now, what this is, is it's it's kind of like a pulse in our culture. Because if you think about it, the way our politicians spoke was a big deal just a generation ago. They had to be very careful what they said. Because if they didn't, it could cost them the office. But today, it's actually their brand. And Donald Trump has received more votes in this Republican primary than any other Republican candidate in history. We're rewarding him for that kind of speech. Now, it's not all that he's selling. It's not all that he can do. And maybe he's going to be the right guy. I don't know. But my point is, is look at the message that our culture is beginning to communicate. Our words don't matter as much as our action. And so if we begin to believe that as Christians, if we begin to adopt that view of speech if we begin to downplay the impact of words, it's actually really going to hurt our relationships. Because here's the problem. It's not true. Our words matter as much as our actions. God runs the universe in line with his moral character. And he is good, and he is loving, and he is kind and patient. He never speaks harshly. He never slanders or mocks. He never sarcastic or tears down. And so if we begin to develop those communication patterns, it's going to cause trouble for us in his universe. And so what God does is he begins to teach us how to communicate in a way that brings life. Because our words, they do matter. And so here are some of the things just off the bat that God has said and revealed to us about words. Because communication matters to God. The first thing is, is when you look at Mint, when you look at your bank account on your phone, the money you see, half of that money 
is the fruit of your words. Listen to what God says. He says, from the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hands comes back to him. We sometimes we think like it's just about producing. It's just about my diligence. That's that's what determines my wealth in life. But my words can destroy my brand like that. My words can get me fired. And so over my life, as I build wealth, what I'm seeing is actually the overflow, not just of my effort and my work ethic, but also my words. Words are a big deal. Something else that God tells us is that words can create and words can destroy. He says the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. All of us know the sting of a harsh statement made, how it can tear us down, how it can ruin our day, and how over time it can really have a deforming effect to a person. We all know the kind of fresh air and life-giving power of an encouraging word when someone gives it to us. The tongue is powerful. It's not unimportant. The words that we say, they're not something we can just brush off our shoulder. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is not true. It's just not true. The tongue has the power of life and death. And did you know that all of the words that we say will be judged for the words that we say? Here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they say. I know for me, when I first became a Christian, and I started thinking about judgment, you know, the end of time. Sometimes in our culture, we have this picture of the judgment day. I think my general idea was, there's a lot of people God's going to be really busy. So he's probably going to throw up a highlight reel of the best and the worst moments in my life. But all the things I've said and the little things I did, that probably, we don't have time for that. But the thing is, at the end of time, there is no time. And there's plenty of time to sit down and go through each and every part of our life where God is asking us. So when you said that, like, what does that tell you about yourself? I mean, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I do know, according to Jesus, that every word I say, every little careless word I say, I will give an account for And the reason why this matters is we are our words. We are our words. We have this idea that sometimes you you hear people say, or sometimes I may have said, like, hey, don't worry about it. I I didn't mean it. That's not, I just said that. Or he he just talks that way. Don't worry about that. And what we're saying is my words and me, those are different things. But that's, that's not actually true. Our words reveal us at our core. This is what God reveals to us. This is what God teaches. Take a look. He says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. If if you go to somebody's house, and they're like, hey, come out of my backyard. So you go out in the backyard, and they say, check out my, my beautiful apple tree. And you look at the tree, and it's covered with oranges. You're going to look at the guy and be like, you mean an orange tree? And if he says, no, 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 it's an apple tree. You're going to say, but dude, it's covered in oranges. And if he says, yeah, but on the inside, it's an apple tree, right? Don't worry about the fruit. That's, that doesn't make any sense. That's Jesus' point here. The fruit reveals the root. And our words are our fruit. And our words actually reveal who we really are at our core. And I don't like that truth. I like to think that deep down inside, I'm solid gold, And even though I shoot off a couple harsh words here and maybe a slander thing there, it's not really me. That's what I want to be true. But that's not true. Jesus goes on to say, you you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our words, they matter. 
They matter to God. They matter to our pocketbook. They matter to our relationships. Words matter. And so as Christians, if you're born again, if you're a part of the family of God, one of the things that we want to do is grow in our speech so that it's characterized by greater life and greater love and greater purity because that's how God talks. And we want to be like our Father. We want to resemble our Father. And we want to give up these old habits and patterns and really ideas about words that may be floating in our culture that are not true. They can hurt us. They can hurt our families. They can hurt our community. And so today what we're going to be doing is looking at communication and the kind of communication that really brings life and vitality to one of the most important areas of our lives, our relationships. And so that's why I love Dory, because the film does a good job showing that the words we say, they matter. They matter. Because see, Dory, uh, she has short-term memory loss. So she forgets what she just said, and she says it again and again and again, and it gets really irritating. And some of the characters in the story, they, they get tired of it, and they're sarcastic, and they're harsh, and you see the effect that it has on her and others. But then there's these other characters in the story that, that really love her, and no matter how much she repeats herself, no matter how irritating she is, they always respond with tenderness and love. And as an audience, you actually feel what she feels when they talk to her like that. You, you, you empathize with her. And that's great storytelling. And we want to communicate that way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking at how we should speak. Um, we're going to start with where God really starts. And when you read the New Testament and you start looking into what God says about how to communicate, he doesn't start with, hey, Ephesus, hey, Philippi, you're Christians now thumbs up. Here's a list of do's and don'ts. Go do it. That's, that's not how God communicates. If you read the New Testament, if you read the letters that are written by the apostles to the early churches around the Mediterranean, it usually starts with a statement about who God is, about our new identity, about the shift that has taken place in our life, about the big story that all of our lives are a part of in human history. And because we're different people, it makes sense that we're going to speak differently. Because we're God's children, it makes sense that our language is going to start to reflect our Father. And so I just want to start briefly there by remembering the big story, because I love the big story. It's the big story of human history. What is God doing in history? Why did God create the human race? He made every human being because he wanted to share his love. He loves us. He wanted us to know him and love him and know and love one another. Mankind to know and love one another and know and love their God. He wanted us to walk with him and work with him on this good earth forever and ever and ever. That was the plan, and it was going to be awesome. And the first generation of human beings, we lost it. We blew it all apart. And sin and pain and death, it entered our world, and it characterizes all of our lives. It's horrible. And so God looks at this world and its brokenness and its pain, and he doesn't say, well, you broke it. You bought it. You messed it up. You're going to have to live with it. That's not the kind of person God is. God loves us. And so he sends into this darkness, he sends into this darkness the king of light. He sends into this darkness a savior, a rescuer, and that is Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is doing is he is replacing our life of death with his life. He's, he's taking on to himself our punishment for a life lived at war with God. And what we're getting in exchange is the rewards and blessings that he deserves. He is rejected by God the Father so that we can be brought into the family of God. And why would anybody do this? Because he loves us. 
He loves us, and our Father wants us to join him in the kingdom of light and to live with him forever and ever, just like he had planned in the beginning. And he never abandoned that original plan. God is on a rescue mission. And what he's doing is he is calling people out of every tribe, and every tongue, and every nation, and he's making a new humanity, a brand new human race out of the old one. And that's the church. That's what the church is. It's a new humanity. It's the family of God. And between the day when Christ returns and makes all things new and today, what God is doing is he is renewing us. He's transforming us. He's making us more holy and more righteous and more good. He's making us more like himself. He's restoring our image to his image. And so as a church, we're working together as we love one another and as we speak the truth to one another and as we walk through life with each other and with God, we're becoming more and more like him. And he wants to make us new in every way. And that includes our speech. Our speech changes because we have changed. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, then that's what that means. And so we have to give up old patterns, old patterns of communication, which have been imported into our new life. We bring with uh, uh, when, we, when we start our life in Christ, when, we, when we're born again, we still have old habits. We still have old ways of doing things. And so you see a lot of lists in the New Testament. Here's, here's one of the lists that, that Paul gave to the church in Colossae. Could you go up just a little bit more? He said, you used to walk in these ways. This is how you, your life used to be, in the life you once lived. But now, now that you're born again, now that you've been given new life, now that you're a part of the new humanity, you must rid yourself of all these old things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Those things used to characterize our speech. And why? Why did it make sense to speak that way to our wife or our husband, to our kids or to our parents? Why did it make sense to use harsh and and kind of pushy language with people and to tear them down? Why did that make sense to us? Because our life was about us. It was about my happiness and my dreams. I mean, who else's happiness in life was it going to be about? Before I knew Jesus Christ, before I became alive to God, before I became one of God's children, my life was about me. And so as I pursued my happiness, and that person pursued their happiness, and she pursued her happiness, inevitably, there would be a conflict. We would be competing with each other. People would block our goals. People people would keep us from what we wanted. And so over time, over your life, your speech begins to be characterized by more selfishness and more pride and more violence as we kind of elbow and get what we need and get what we deserve. We don't like it. We don't want it to be true. But that's kind of the way the dog-eat-dog world is. But you see, when we become a Christian, when you become a Christian, you give your life to Christ, what you're doing is you're shifting the weight of your life onto Jesus. And what that means is you are convinced in your bones that Jesus Christ is the only one who has the kind of life that human beings were created for. The things that our souls thirst for, he alone has it, and he alone can give it. Christians believe that to greater and greater degrees. And because we believe that's true, we start to follow his example in the way we communicate. He's our leader. He's the one we look to to teach us how to speak, to how to have conversations. We don't look to our culture or even to our old habits. These old things that used to characterize our communication, they begin to be, they, we begin to get rid of them. And so the new thing that has changed, and this is a key reason why we can change the way we talk, is that God has begun to change our motivations. Our life used to be characterized by selfishness and pride and violence, and we spoke that way. It made sense. But now we have a new motivation. 
We have a new heart. We have God's heart. And that is why Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, guys, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, you see, there it is again. Your kids, you're new. You've been brought into the family of God. As dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us, our older brother Christ, he died for us. And he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, in the old life, it was about Matt. It was about me. And so selfishness and pride and violence characterized more and more and more of my lifestyle, including my communication. But in this new life, I've been given a heart that was not mine. I've been given power. I've been given desires that were not mine to love. And what that means is, what love means is that I want the good. I will the good of the other person. I want their good. I want it. I don't just do it. I just don't think it. I just don't say it. But I want your good. That's what God begins to do in you as you, as you take on his life. And so because we're new, because as a Christian you've been born again, because you've given up the old life and its old habits, because you have his heart and you love people, you want to talk differently. You want to communicate differently. And that's why we love this next verse. This next verse is the big verse when it comes to communication. It's the overarching command that governs all Christian communication. It's the strike zone that you want all your words to be inside of, like a pitcher throwing a ball in a strike zone. Here it is. It's Ephesians 4.29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is the big idea for our communication in God's kingdom. As a part of the family of God, this should characterize all of our words. Now, let's break it apart. First of all, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So what's unwholesome? Unwholesome means dead, rotten. It's, it's, it's malice and contempt. It's, it's sarcasm. It's, it's foolish and obscene and coarse jokes. It's things that characterize this world. But in the world that we are being made for, In the life to come, in God's kingdom, there is no dead thing. Everything is alive. Everything is fresh. Everything is good. And so because we belong to that kingdom, in this life, we're getting rid of more and more of the unwholesome things that we habitually say. We don't do unwholesome talk. But instead, but only what is helpful for building others up. The word helpful means good. It means good in every sense of the word. So what would be a good thing to say here that could really build this person up? Should I, should I speak the truth? Should I encourage them? You know, is it, what kind of words would be appropriate to help this person? Because what we're doing is, is we're starting to build with our words. You see, when you're born again, you're now in the family of God. And that means you're a part of the family business. And what business is God in? He's in the construction and renewal business. He makes things of great beauty and value. He maintains and protects their beauty and value, and he renews things that are broken. That's what he's doing in my life. That's what he's doing in many of our lives. God is in the construction and renewal business. And I'm a part of that family, and I want to speak like he speaks. I want to build up with my words. I'm going to build up and renew. I want to heal. I want to because he has given me a new heart, a heart characterized by love. And because... He's changing me. Those old habits of speech that I just mentioned, that Paul just mentioned, those things are less and less and less characteristic of our lives as we walk through this life into the future. That is what God is doing in our lives if you're a Christian. That's why it makes sense to talk this way. 
He goes on to say, um, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building those up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, notice the focus. The shift is no longer on me, what I want to say, my two cents, what I need to get out. It's now a focus on them. Why? Because if our goal is to build up our wife or our husband, if our goal is to build up our brother or sister, if our goal is to build up our children or our parents or our coworkers or any other social network that you're a part of, if your goal is to build that person up, then you're looking to their needs. What do they need? What would be helpful to them? That's the kind of communication that's going to build up our relationships. That's the kind of communication in the kingdom. And, and God doesn't just change our communication generally. He changes our conversational style specifically. So for me personally, before I was a Christian, and even into my Christian life with my old habits and patterns that are hard to change, I'm quick to speak, slow to listen, quick to get angry. You know why I'm quick to speak? Because I need to say some things. i got things to say. I, I, I want to I express myself, or, or I need to make sure people know what I did, or, or I need to defend myself, and so I'm quick, quick, quick to talk. I cut you off, and I'm slow to listen, because listening is not going to help me talk. So it's very low on my value scale, and I get, I'm quick to get angry. You know why I'm quick to get angry? Because people are crossing me. They're blocking me. They're interrupting me, and it's about me. It's about my dreams and my passions and my goals. It's all about me. And so my speech reflects that. My conversation reflects that. Quick to speak, slow to listen, quick to become angry. But when I have uh, given my life to Christ, and when God begins to transform the way I communicate, when I begin to copy and imitate Jesus' example, I adopt his conversational style. And this is his conversational style. This is his brother, James, writing to a young church in Jerusalem. Here's what he says. He says, my dear brothers and sisters... There it is again. You're born in the family of God. You're a new person. So now here's how you're going to act. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteous, righteousness that God desires. Our style of communication is to listen quick. Because that person has the information that I need to better help build them up. I'm trying to build them up. And so they will tell me what's going on with them, and I can be a help to them. That's why I'm quick to listen. That's why I'm slow to speak. It's not all about me anymore, and that's why I'm slow to become angry. And so you can begin to see how our conversations and our communication begins to change as we walk with God to greater and greater degrees. And I don't have to explain to all of us the benefit that would have in our lives. It takes five seconds to think about if I talk this way to my wife or my husband, or to my kids, or to my parents, or to my coworkers, or my boss, or my brothers and sisters. If this was how I talked, you know how good things would get. We see that. The problem is, is that we didn't want to in the past, and God has given us a new want to. We didn't understand in the past, and God is giving us new understanding. We were all by ourselves in the past, and now in this church, in this new humanity with our brothers and sisters at different levels of growth, we have examples for what this looks like so that we can learn how to talk the way our father talks. And our relationships grow deeper. They grow stronger, characterized by greater love and greater peace. And so what happens is, for Christians, their communication becomes, it becomes art. It becomes this grand project that we're working on with the Lord where he's teaching us more and more and more how to paint with our words. Words are like colors. And every conversation is like a canvas. 
And the Lord Jesus is a master painter. And he wants to teach us how to paint in a way that builds up our relationships. And he is a master painter. I have some pictures up here I'd like to show you. This is a picture of... uh, Could you go to the picture of something pretty, please? That's all right. This is a picture of... I don't know what I'd say this. A mountain range? I just found it on Google. I typed in beautiful pictures. But... uh, Uh, look at the, oh, no, go back, go back, go back. Look at the color. Look at how it, it matches. I, I don't even have the words to describe it because I'm not very colorful, but they match. The colors are perfectly placed. There's not some hot pink or, or, or you know, neon yellow. Maybe, maybe there is. The colors match well. <laughs> See? That's, that's the work of Jesus Christ. What you discover as you begin to get to know God and you begin to listen to him is that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything we see. He's really good at color. Check out this picture. That's a nebula. Isn't that beautiful? But look at the colors, how they match perfectly. That's Jesus. There's another one. Those are fish. We love to swim in tropical oceans, perhaps. And uh, we love this beautiful picture. These are screensavers across the land because we just love this image. And look at the colors, how they blend perfectly. That's the work of Jesus Christ. Even Dory, the movie Dory. The colors in Dory are a copy of the aquatic life we see all around us. And it's beautiful, but it's just a replication of what Jesus Christ has done in nature. Now, the guy who painted those pictures, he lives inside of every Christian. He wants to teach you how to paint with your words, the way he paints in those pictures. And you have a palette. There are primary colors of communication that you want to begin to use. You want to ask yourself, what does this conversation need? What color dominates What color should I add? You want to ask yourself, what color do I typically paint in? I think this is a great metaphor for communication. I got this from Deborah Bullock. Uh, She's here today. And it's a great way of thinking about communication. Because if you think about it, sometimes you look at a picture and it's just a little bit off. And if you just added this or took away that, it would be just right. And that's, that's a great way to think about communication. And so what I'd like us to do with the rest of our time is look at the, the palette that's available to us in communication. Since we are, if, you, if you've given your life to Christ and you're a part of God's family, and you're characterized by a greater and greater love, and you're ready to work with God through your life on this project of renewal, then you are ready and eager to learn how to talk in a new way because you understand the blessing that will come to you and your family. So let's look at how we can talk differently as Christians. Take out the handout in your, in your um In the handout, there's another handout called Technicolor Communication. Take a look at that if you would. And uh, what I have here is some different colors of communication. So sometimes in conversations, uh, you need to just paint with some black. And what that means is, is it's just time to be quiet. It's time to be silent. It's time to listen. It's time to give people space. The first question is just talk or don't talk. And it's not always clear. It's not always, you're not always sure if this is, should I, should I, should I say something? Should I, do I not say something? You don't know. And that's what's great, is that the master painter, Jesus Christ, he will tell you, he will show you, he will coach you. If you ask him, Lord, what, do I talk right now? Do I say something? There have been many times when I didn't know what to say or do, and I've asked the Lord in my fumbling way, like a two-year-old talking to his father, what do I do? And the Lord shows me. That's a great thing. So sometimes you just need to paint with black. Sometimes you need to paint... <clears throat> With blue, people are hurting, people are sad, and you need to just be there with them. As guys, it can be really hard for us to do this with our wives, with our kids. We tend to want to push people through. But you know what? People are really hurting. 
and they need to be free to hurt. And we need to join them there in empathy. And so we, we speak in a way that shares the sadness. We, we weep when they weep. And if you can't weep, ask God to help you weep. Uh, my son, you know, he, 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 um, sometimes they get sad. And my initial reaction is to be like, well, what's wrong? What's the problem? And then give orange, a lot of orange. Just dump some bucket of orange on them, right? Some corrective instruction. But that's not what they need. And so I need the Lord to help me change my old communication habits and instincts so that I know how to paint with blue in just the right way. Maybe you need to add some purple. You know, people like to be receiving honor and appreciation. And, you know, in the church, we're supposed to be characterized in our, in our communication colors by a lot of purple. There are many verses, there are many times where God says, outdo one another in showing honor. Have a competition between each other. See who can show the other person more honor. That's purple. And so how can you honor people and appreciate people for the good that they've done? People love to answer a question correctly and then be recognized for it. And that's a good thing. You have the opportunity in your conversation today, when you leave here, to paint with some purple. Ask the Lord to show you. What does this person need? What can I say to this person that can build them up? Do I need to add some purple? How much? What can I say? It's an art. It's not a science. It's something you grow in over time. It's fun. This is what we get to do with the Lord as Christians, and we get to do together. Maybe you need to paint with some some yellow. Celebration. Time to party. Time to rejoice. Yesterday, I went to a birthday party for one of our dear friends, her 30th birthday, and at that party, I found out what another friend of mine got a job, and I was pumped. It would not have been right at that point to start painting with some blue, some sadness, right? Or like some red and rebuke. I mean, that didn't make sense. Different circumstances, different conversations, they call for different color combinations. Christians are to grow in their wisdom and sophistication, their ability to read the situation and apply the right colors to build up others according to their needs. We do it out of love, the love that God has given us. This is our life together as we grow in Christ. Maybe it's green. Healing words. This is really hard for me. I don't always know how to do this. You know, somebody's hurting. Somebody needs some healing. Usually for me, what healing words look like is please forgive me. I've hurt somebody. I've been harsh. I've been sarcastic. I've slandered or been cutting or I've said something that was not right. And I've wounded them because words have the power of life and death. And so at that point, the Lord will tell me, you need to go make that right. And that's green. That's healing words. I'm sorry. I said this because of my pride or my selfishness. It's me, not you. And I'm sorry I hurt you. Would you forgive me? Healing words. A little bit of green can go a long way. There's orange, which is corrective instruction. Again, if you're a dad, you like to paint an orange, right? Buckets of orange. We like to correctively instruct people, encourage them, pump them up, prod them along. And that's a great thing. In Dory... In Finding Dory, all through the movie, Marlon, who's the father in Finding Nemo, is always dropping some orange. He is orange, right? He's an orange fish. And many times it's the right color, but occasionally he paints with orange when he probably should be painting in blue. And you can just see it doesn't quite look right. And finally, there's rebuke. There is a time to rebuke. There's a time to warn. There's a time to tell somebody, dude, you're going the wrong way. This is a real problem. You always rebuke in love. You don't pick fights, but there is a place and a time for red. And if you don't know, you ask the Lord or you ask your older brothers and sisters here in the body of Christ, and they will help teach you how to paint with red in just the right way. At a key moment in the movie, Finding Dory, 
Dory rebukes another character. His name is Hank. He's an octopus. I think you saw him. And Dory says to him at just the right moment, you've got to go that way. Stop. And it was just what he needed to hear. And it works out in large measure because Dory painted with red. Now, what about today? You're going to see your family. Maybe you can see your friends. You're going to see a lot of people. How will you paint differently today? What colors are needed in the conversations you're having? What is the person that you're relating to? What do they need? Think about it. Get better and better and better at reading the canvas so that you can apply the right colors, and the Lord will teach you. And this is an awesome thing. Imagine if this is what characterized our church and the broader church, just the life that it pumps into this world, because that's what Christ is doing. He is pumping life into this world through his people. And so what I'd like you to do now is just consider what your response is. Now that we've talked about it, now that hopefully it makes sense, how can you respond in faith today? If you could take out your connection card, and if you could look at the um, next steps that are on the back of that card, I have some suggestions for you. Now, if you're here and you're, you're not yet ready, or you're not a Christian, right? You, you haven't decided to follow Christ. Maybe your next step is to do that. Maybe you've been around for a long time, and you understand who God is and his goodness. You understand our problem, your problem, as a member of this fallen human race. And you want God's life in your life. You want to be a part of God's family. You understand who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and you're ready to receive his forgiveness and his life and his power. You want God to transform your life. You're ready to make him the king, to make him your master teacher that you follow in every way. It's clicked for you. If that is you, then your next step, let us know so we can pray with you and help you. If it's not you, but you're, you're still investigating who Jesus is, then if you have questions, we want to be a help to you. All of us at some point had questions. And then at a certain point, we got our questions answered. And we would love to be a help to you if that's what you would like. You can let us know on the connection card. And then for those of us who are, who are believers, you may want to take this, this handout, Technicolored Communication, and you want to ask yourself, how can I do this today? How can I apply the right colors in my conversations today? Maybe you, you have been convicted today. Maybe the Lord has been tapping on your heart and saying, you know what? The way you spoke to them, that was unwholesome. You didn't know it, but now you do. And you need to go make that right. You need to paint with some green. Maybe there's something that you need to work with the Lord this week to overcome a pattern of communication that's unwholesome. And finally, it's actually a lot of fun to, to take out this handout, watch a movie or a television show, and ask the question, what color dominates? What color would be needed? So that you develop better categories, so that you can see conversation in the technicolor that it exists in, so that you can be better at using words that build others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your love and goodness. We thank you for your words and your son Jesus, who is the, the word made flesh. We thank you for just the way that you have reached into our lives in the dark world and you've brought us into the light. And we want to be more like you. We want our, our, our image to reflect you. And we want to speak like you do. And so would you teach us how to communicate in technicolor as we walk together through this life and we look forward to the great and glorious day when Christ returns and makes all things new. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.